so dead you don't even know it. J.D. Hutchins, and you've just entered my dwelling and stepped inside the monster's lair. Enter if you dare, survive if you can. In the season, leaves should love, since it gives them leave to move through the wind towards the ground. They were watching while they hung. Legend says there is a seam stitching darkness like a name. Now when dying grasses veil earth from the sky in one last pale wave, as autumn dies to bring winter back, and then the spring, we who die ourselves can peel back another kind of veil that hangs among us like a thick smoke. Tonight at last, I feel it shake. I feel the nights stretching away, thousands long behind the days till they reach the darkness where all of me is ancestor. I move my hand and feel a touch move with me, and when I brush my own mind across another, I am with my mother's mother. Sure as footsteps in my waiting self, I find her, and she brings arms that carry answers for me, intimate, awaiting bounty. Carry me. She leaves this trail through a shutter of the veil and leaves like amber where she stays, a gift for her perpetual gaze. It's that time of year again, listeners. Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Devil's Night, Sawin. The time when they say the veil to the other side is at its thinnest. Halloween, yours truly's favorite holiday of all the holidays in existence. A holiday perfect for the monster's lair. So with that being said, listeners, this is the third edition of the Monster's Lair Halloween episode. We're calling it Halloween 3, and I hope you enjoyed listening along to some of the most terrifying content from the first three seasons of the Monster's Lair podcast. This year's format's going to be a little different. I changed things up just a bit. I hope you enjoy it as always, and I hope you'll give me feedback on the changes I've made going forward. I think this is how the Halloween episodes are going to be presented from now on, unless you guys, of course, don't appreciate it. So, 
without further ado, let's dive into the depths of all the darkness of Halloween night. Thanks, listeners. Have a safe and sane Halloween. Have fun. Stay safe. And we will see you next season right here inside my lair, the Monster's Lair. Right here, 
And then I walk into my room and I turn on my stereo because I still had my stereo there. And I was bumping some Fear Factory and uh, chilling. I was like, oh man, I'm fucking grooving out. And then I start talking to Tiny comes out and I'm talking to him, but I'm not looking at him, right? I'm just kind of like looking through my stuff here. And uh, I was like, yeah, man, this band's badass. You ever heard of this band before? And I look at him and I realize that he's not looking at me. He's looking down the hallway at my mom's room. So I look at my mom's room and that's when I saw a shadow man. Now to describe that this, how the shadow man looks as, have you ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great show. Okay, you know Charlie when he dresses up as Green Man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now picture that Green Man is in all black. Okay. That's exactly what this looked like. Now I look at it and it's just this man standing, this black man, not a black man, but like a man in black <laughs> standing there. A black mask. As, like a, it looks like a living fucking shadow, right? Right. And, but it has substance and, and 3D quality. Like, you know, like a shadow is like 2D. When it's across a wall, there's no dimension to it. Right. But this, but this guy had dimension. Like I said, it looked like a guy wearing a full body black stocking. Yeah, like no one face. of the, uh, what do they call those things? Like uh, morph suit. Yeah, no face, no eyes, no nothing. Just fucking blackness. Like a yawning black abyss in this man's, in this thing's face. And I got to see it long enough for it to walk. It's, it was standing in the doorway, and as soon as I looked at it, and really got a good look at it, it walked to the left into the room. Now, my rational mind, because I try to rationalize everything, my rational mind tells me somebody's broken into my house. Right. So I pull out a knife, because I always carried a knife on me back then. Uh, I fucking grab my knife, and me and Tiny run into the bedroom, and there's nobody in there. Now, Keep in mind, the windows in this house are like those old school windows. You know those ones where you have to like, kind of like wind them, kind of like how a, a like old car where you have to roll up the window. Right. Yeah. My mom has those in her house where she's. Yeah, there. they're like shutter windows, so you you turn this you turn this little crank, and it makes the windows come in and out, but you can't really fully open the window. Right. And they're small, so there's no fucking way that there was a dude there and he just jumped out the window because the windows are too goddamn small for any man to fit through them. Yeah, you're going to have to bust that whole thing off. It's, it's uh, you know, the frame to get out of it. Right. And so I walk, I, I come into that room and I look around and there's nobody in there. And every fucking hair, James, every hair on my body is standing on end. And I feel it's tingling through my, through, like... It's hard to describe, man. It's kind of like uh, static electricity or something. Yeah, I know the feeling well, my friend. It, it was prickling the, my scalp, and the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. And I told Tiny, I was like, how long were you looking at that thing? And he said, man, I was I was looking at him for a good minute. And I was like, what was it doing? And he said, just looking back at me. And I was like, is it, was were my eyes fucking with me or was that a guy? And he's like, that wasn't a man. And, uh, dude, right? And I was just like, 
I didn't know what to say after that. And I, but besides that, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to call my mom because we still had our phone hooked up over there. I was like, I called my mom and I had her come get me and I never went back to that fucking house. <laughs> I don't blame you, bro. Now, and you know what, man? They kind of pieced together a lot of shit for me because when I was living at the house with my mom, my mom was having a lot of problems there, man. She was sick all the time. Uh-huh. And she was almost like losing, I don't want to say losing her mind, but she was having a lot of like emotional problems while we were there. She's very unhappy and almost acting uncharacteristic a lot. And so whenever I started, you know, sat down with my thoughts later when I got, you know, somewhere safe and I started piecing these things together, I told my mom about it. And my mom, at first she didn't believe me. She just thought somebody broke in the house. And then when I explained to her, like, that's impossible. And then she started really thinking about the aspect of maybe that was some kind of spirit. Right. Then she started, like, crying because she thought, like, man, you know, I, the emotional turmoil that she was going through at that time, you know, she was able to kind of stop and think, like, well, maybe something was influencing me. And I don't know, you know, man, I, to be honest, when I saw this thing, I didn't feel any negative emotions from it. Mm-hmm. I, it was just shock. And then whenever I fucking realized that that that, that wasn't a person, like I said, I felt my, like my, 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 my body was just on pins and needles after that, you know? Right. Now, you stated you believe in the multidimensional theory. Um, do you think that's maybe what this thing was, like something traveling from one dimension to the next? Your house just happened to be on That's not path. what I think. I don't think that these things are travelers. I think that they're there all the time. Okay. I think that these things live amongst us, but don't know they live amongst us. But maybe some of them do. And the ones that do, maybe not all of them are good people. Right. For just, lack of a better term. Just like anything so, else, you know, there can be good ones, there can be bad ones, there can be some. I think they're, I think they're, maybe they're just, man, this is all theory, man. Like, I, I don't fucking know. But I think maybe they're just like us. There's good ones and there's bad ones. But maybe that they don't think like humans do. You know what I mean? Maybe right. they're not human at all. Right. And so that's why there's this aspect of... That's why my, my, my skin was on pins and needles. That's why my hair was standing up. Because it's not human. Right. And so I think that these things exist at the same time as us. It's just that they are on a different spectrum. And I think that sometimes maybe we get glimpses of these things. And I think some people, maybe some people in this world can see them all the time. I don't know. Yep. I, shit, man. Anything's up out there. I mean, um, you know, I... The whole reason for me starting this podcast was to make these kinds of discussions and these kinds of stories kind of, you know, a, a part of everyday conversation, kind of taking right. the, um, you know, the blue man, the blue collar everyday man's approach to some of the weirder paranormal activities that are out there. And, you know, um, I was talking to my buddy that's probably going to eventually end up being my co-host on this show, um, but we were discussing it and it was like, you know, I ask a lot of people, man, like, you know, do you believe in the paranormal? And people always tell me, oh, no, you know, it's all bullshit. But it seems like every time I talk to someone that's like, oh, no, I don't believe in that stuff. But there was this one time. Right. And it's right. like. Exactly. Like, man, it can't be a coincidence. Right. 
so many people see these see things see so many I've never met one person in my life that doesn't have some kind of experience something that they can't explain exactly Alright ladies and gentlemen, so I have a, a bonus story from you from Mr. Mike Morgan. Um, he's going to go ahead and tell that for us right now. Alright man, so I'll take you all the way back to the year 2000. 20 years ago man, it's hard to believe. Yep, 20 years ago baby. I'm a fresh faced young man, straight out of high school, 18 years old, discovering drugs and fucking partying and meeting new people and really kind of learning who I am and uh, at the time I knew I met this girl her name is Angela shout out to Angela if she hears this she's still a fucking really cool fucking person but at the time you know her house was kind of the chill house we'd go and hang out and smoke weed and talk and it's before the internet was really a big deal so you know, people actually fucking talk to each other back then. And, uh, you know, uh, I would spend a great deal of my life over at her house. I would spend the night, all, all that. Me and her were just really good fucking friends. But her house had a lot of, there was a lot of things that happened there. And not a lot of things that I witnessed personally, but a lot of stories, you know, because I wasn't the only person that hung out there. And she certainly had a lot of stories of things that she'd seen, uh, heard, and shit like that, you know. But I, at the time, I chalked it up to, to be perfectly honest, I chalked it up to drug use. Right. Until I started seeing, until I saw something. So, this was a rare incident, incident, but it was during the summer, I remember it was hotter than fuck. And me and her were, I had spent the night before, and when I, when we woke up, uh, we were like, hey, uh, she was like, hey, you want to watch a movie in the living room? And I was like, sure, because it was a little cooler in the living room. So we're sitting in the living room, we're watching Batman 89, you know, the one with Keaton. Right. And uh, we're still watching it, I get probably about halfway through the movie, and then I notice like movement from my peripheral vision on my right hand side and I look and there's a painting on the wall and that painting has always been there like it was always there and it was always just unnoticeable it's like something you'd see in a fucking hotel or something yeah like every hotel painting is like oh there's a painting but you don't stop and go wow you know right like a generic landscape or some random shapes or right exactly and that's exactly what this was it was a it was a it was a, a spring for a forest in the spring for the leaves are yellow and red and there's a little stream that's going through it and it's a very peaceful little little fucking forest right right but the movement that i see i turn and i look at this painting and the tree and the, the trees and the grass are blowing in the wind and leaves are falling from this tree and i'm like I, i'm like what the fuck and i look in the water the the little stream that i told you about is moving and flowing like looking out of a fucking window 
and I'm just staring at this, and I'm like, am I fucking, tra- I had no drugs in my system. I was like, am I having like a fucking acid flashback or what? what is going on here? And like, James, I'm telling you, man, it couldn't be more realistic looking. It was like looking out a window and seeing wilderness. And I'm just staring at this for a minute. I hear a gasp behind me like, <gasps> like that. And I don't even turn and look at her. And I'm like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And she says, the painting. And I go, yes, yes, the painting. And she goes, yes, I see it. It's alive. And so we both stand up and go and get closer and look at this painting. And I swear, this is the fucking strangest part, man. But I swear to God, I saw this. At the base of the tree, is there's a man sitting there with a straw hat on. And he has the hat kind of covering his face. And he's sitting there with a fishing pole on his hand in the stream. And he's just sitting there peacefully. And kind of like, I can see him moving his head. And the leaves are falling on his hat. When he moves his head, the the leaf falls off of his hat. And everything, man. And I'm like, do you see this little guy here? And she says, yeah, I see him. And I was like, and we're just looking at it for the longest time. And then after a while, we just... We're like, okay, well, we walked away from it. And then later on, when we came back, it wasn't moving anymore. And that guy wasn't there. That's wild, man. That's, that's and equal nobody parts. Believes, nobody believes the story that I tell when I tell people this. And to this day, I, you know, I haven't talked to Angela in probably in over fucking 15 years. Right. But I could call her up right now, and she'll remember that story and fucking confirm it. See, so you got another story with awesome validation in it. Right, man. Like, nothing I have seen paranormal, or I don't even know if that counts as paranormal. But nothing I have seen has not been seen by somebody else. Now, um, had you had a chance to talk to her if anything like that has happened with that painting before? or No, she said that she'd never seen that before with that painting. But wow. she has seen other shit in that. She had seen other shit in that house. Right. But she'd always seen negative shit. Like, she told me, for instance, that one time she had a friend over and he started being, it was almost like he was being pushed down. Like, he was being, like, like imagine somebody putting their, standing over you and putting their hands on your shoulders and putting all their weight down on you. Yeah. Like, he was being scrunched down, and when she looked at the mirror behind him, she saw a big fucking blob of a shadow. Wicked. And fucking, and she screamed, and when she screamed, it disappeared. Wow. So, she told me that story, and you know what? At the time, I, I didn't believe her. I didn't even believe her. I just went, oh, okay. But after I saw the painting, I believed everything she said. Right. Well, I mean, if you're standing there looking at a man and it's animated like that, that's it's kind of hard not to believe, right? Dude, like I said, man, it was like, it didn't look like a painting anymore. It looked like looking out of a window at a real life situation. That's equal parts cool as it is bizarre. Super bizarre. I cannot fucking explain it. Now, and me and her sat around and speculated like, well, maybe, maybe what we saw in the painting, the guy is, maybe he's the guy that painted it. And, like, maybe he lives in this painting, and, like, this is his heaven, and we're getting a look at it. Shit like that. Like, you know, you just sit there and speculate on things. 
Hey, bro, that's why you're the mad thinker, man. That's right, man. So I think mad thoughts. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, man, that's a, that's a great story. I mean, see, uh, folks, that goes to show you, I'm not just looking for negative stories on this show. I'm not just looking for stuff that creeps you out, even though that is what I personally enjoy. No, in my this story. experience, this experience was completely positive. I've never felt more peace than when I was looking at that that painting come alive. That's awesome, man. Now, can I ask you? Was it just motion that were you you were seeing? Did you hear any noise? Did you hear like running no, water? No, I didn't or... hear any noises or anything, but I did see movement. Okay, so this was a purely visual thing. You didn't have any purely like, visual, yeah. You didn't have any sensations like you were there in this scene or anything. No, like not that. at all. It was just like it was exactly like looking out of a window or watching a movie. Right. Now, see, it would be easy for the skeptics to say, well, it, you know, it's probably some drugs that you guys were on or you were doing something, but you said yourself I'm you were not, completely sober. It's possible. Yeah. It's some kind of underlying or maybe an acid flashback or something. I don't know. Right. But at the same time, your willingness to admit that and say, yeah, you know, I have experimented with that stuff and all that, that makes it realer to me. Because I feel like yeah. if, if you were worried well, that it was. Lie. You know, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. Uh, I've done some. I've done some fucking drugs in my life. I've done, I've, I've lived life as I've done some stupid shit, but yeah. And I'll freely admit, and I'll even accept the possibility that this was an acid fucking flashback or something. But why would both of us see the same thing? Yeah. See that, that's food for thought there. What, what would make two separate people see the same thing at the same time? Maybe mass hysteria. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, brother. That's why yeah, I'm doing that's this show. Yeah, somebody smarter than me, man. I don't know. Right. Maybe someday we'll get a scientist on here that can break it down for us. But Ooh, that'd be cool. Until yeah. that happens, uh, yeah, that's your story and you're sticking to it. Yes, sir. All right, bro. Thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. I'm definitely going to have you back. We got to talk more about that Pigman entity. I'm going to have to do, okay, some, yeah. Hell yeah. do some digging on that and get deeper into that subject a little bit. And uh, I want to look into that Bible verse a little bit more and get more detail on that. Okay, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe if there's any other uh, experiences that people have had with big men, or maybe even some of the listeners uh, have experiences similar that can enlighten us, that'd be even cooler. For sure, man. most famous stories that tells the tale of the origin of the Jersey Devil tells of a place called Leeds Point. Here lived Deborah and Japhet Leeds. On a stormy night in 1735, Deborah, a Quaker woman, gave birth to a child during a thunderstorm. The room flickered with candlelight. The wind howled. Some believed her to be a witch and not a Quaker at all. The impoverished woman, known as Mother Leeds, was believed to have twelve children. Knowing that her thirteenth child was on the way, and upon a difficult delivery of said child, exclaimed, It might as well be a devil! Which, if the tale is to be believed, you should never do. Some say the child was born deformed. Some say she cursed the child because of her dire straits. 
Accounts of the birth say the child was born and took on odd characteristics. Characteristics such as an elongated body, short arms with clawed hands, winged shoulders, a large horse-like head, cloven feet, and a thick tail. According to legend, the child was confined until it made its escape up the chimney and flew out into the tumultuous skies of Leeds Point that night. The Jersey Devil had been born. Like any professional cemetery in existence, Bachelor's Grove has a caretaker. However, true to the location's strange, creepy, and macabre style, the Grove's caretaker is of a ghostly nature. The legend of the caretaker, also sometimes referred to as the one-armed sniper, has been found to include many variations. Today, the most common story speaks of a house located near the cemetery, which is supposed to have been the home of the caretaker. The house is said to be located a short distance west of what is now the roped-off entrance to the main path leading to the cemetery off of 143rd Street, across from the Rubio Woods Forest Preserve parking lot. This path is also known as a portion of the Midlothian Turnpike that was unofficially closed to vehicle traffic in the 1960s with the official closure occurring in 1977. Local legend has it that the caretaker went crazy and murdered his family. Afterwards, the caretaker is said to have taken his own life inside of the house. Ultimately, the house was burned down with all of them inside of it. The specific details of which vary wildly depending on who is telling the story. The earliest caretaker encounter stories involve visitors to the cemetery running into the caretaker himself. During these incidents, it is said that the caretaker would tell you to leave the area while at times carrying an oil lantern in his hand and would also be carrying a shotgun from time to time. The reports of shotgun and lantern stories possibly date back to the 1960s with more widespread coverage through radio broadcasts in the 1970s by paranormal researcher Richard Crow of Illinois. One version of these earlier stories can be found within an audio transcript of a speech given by a local school teacher. It speaks of an event that is supposed to have occurred sometime around 1971 between late November and early December. He describes two male college students who park on the once popular but now defunct 143rd Street pull-off next to the pond near the cemetery. They proceeded to walk south on the narrow path between the pond and creek and come upon a man in his early to mid-70s walking towards them. The elderly man is described as carrying a clear globe lantern emanating a yellow-orange light and begins to yell at the two students as he gets closer. 
The students eventually calm the man and let him know that they are visiting due to the stories of the blue light and disappearing house. Becoming agitated once again, the old man states that the blue light does not exist. He continues to tell them that the house is very much real and that it is the caretaker's house in which he also mentions that he is the caretaker. The old man ends up telling them to go see the house for themselves and follows behind them on a path going toward it. While on the path, the light from the lantern goes out and both students turn around to find that the man has disappeared. There was no mention as to if they found the house or which path was used. The caretaker legend also has a variant. Once in a while, people will give reference to a hooked hand man with a shotgun who used to live in the area. He is sometimes reported to be carrying a double-barreled shotgun and chases these lovers from the property which once belonged to him. The hooked spirit legend which can also have small variations in itself, is generally considered an urban legend and that there are no facts to support it. There are various local newspaper articles from the 70s that mention hair-raising stories about a mysterious one-armed sniper. Regardless of the origins or variants of the murderous caretaker tale, there is no evidence to substantiate them. In fact, Bachelors Grove Cemetery did not have a specific caretaker. The cemetery was attended by the local community and was more of a collective effort in maintaining the grounds by family members who had loved ones buried there. The variant of this tale shares commonalities with the hook man, hook hand, car door urban legend that exists in different forms across the country, has been told time and time again and all across the world for generations and is one of the most endearing urban legends in American culture. Lycan was an early king of Arcadia who lived in the time before the Great Deluge and the Great Flood in the Bronze Race of Humans. He sought to test the divinity of Zeus as he believed humans should worship the great titan Prometheus, who created all of humanity from clay. Due to this belief, Lycan often tested Zeus's omniscience. In his final gesture of blasphemy, Lycan decided to hold a grand feast and serve to Zeus and the other guests among them, of which also included his other fifty sons, the flesh of Lycan's very own son, Nyctimus, in a stew in order to see whether Zeus was truly all-knowing. Zeus in his infinite power and wisdom, contrary to the beliefs of the full king Lycan, of course did not fall for the cruel monarch's trickery and became enraged. In his fit of vengeful anger, Zeus rose overturned the dining table and destroyed the fifty sons of Lycan with lightning bolts, reducing the young men to mere piles of ash on the spot 
right before their father and friends' eyes. For further punishment for his foul desecration and for his impetuousness, Zeus cursed King Lycan to roam the world, cursed as a wolf. A large, lumbering, lasciviously bloodthirsty half-man, half-beast, inflicted with never-ending hunger, set ravenous upon the landscape as eternal punishment on both of the fallen King Lycan himself and all those who would come across the foul beast's path. Henceforth, from this time, all those cursed with this infliction would be known as Lycanthrope. So this story is a special one. It comes to us by way of Mr. Co-host himself, Tom the Nightmare. But this story he got from his Tio Gordy. Tio Gordy believes in La Llorona. And he believes in her because of this story that I'm about to tell you all. So let's begin. My Tio, we call him Gordy. He was in a small town outside of Guadalajara called San Miguel. San Miguel is an old city dating back to the colonial era. Like most states of Guanajanto, it's known as an expat community and is relatively safe. Gordy was out late one night, even though my Tia told him he shouldn't. He went out on the town with three friends. They decided to camp out and sleep under the stars. Tio woke up in the middle of the night. He saw a female figure crying and walking into the lake. My Tio wanted to stop them before any harm could be done. When he got close to the figure, he said, She screamed at me and started pushing me under the surface of the water. Tio said he remembers fighting to get his breath, desperately, erratically clawing to escape. But, eventually, suddenly, and seemingly without reason, she let go. Tio stood up, not knowing what to do or what just happened. He heard crying in the distance, but where he was currently standing, there was nothing, and no one was around. Tio believed in her. Tio believed in La Llorona, as do I. This is a purported-to-be-true story about an unnamed man's father, who claims to have encountered a mysterious and enticing figure. It took place in Juarez, Mexico, in the year 1942 when his father was 20 years old. It was a disturbing story and a haunting memory to the father that he told his brothers and son only a few times. It started when the circus arrived. 
It was in the early evening of a lovely summer's day. The circus had arrived in town, and the man's father and his younger brother, the man's uncle, went to check it out. The man's father wanted to see the freak shows. His father was always fascinated with the elastic man, the cow with two heads, the singing chicken, and all the other weird attractions and people these shows provided. This time, though, it was a disappointment. There were the usual presentations, but nothing new, and some of the acts were obviously fake. But this time, they met two lovely and interested girls and were getting ready to take them to go hear some live music when they ran into a short, stubby man wearing a dinner jacket. The stranger introduced himself and started talking about the freak shows. He was a charming, well-spoken, and charismatic character. Then, in the middle of a lull in the conversation, he raised his arm and exclaimed he was the greatest illusionist in the world. He said he had a trick that was both scary and amazing. The man's father asked this stranger if he was part of the circus. The stranger said no. He told them that he auditioned for a job, but the owner turned him down. The man's father asked him why, and the stranger said his act was so frightening that the owner accused him of being El Diablo, the devil. Now the man's father and uncle were nervous, yet more than anything, intrigued. They asked the stranger if they could see the trick, and the stranger said, of course, with an exception. They would have to come to the trailer where he lives. There, he would show him why he was the greatest illusionist in the world as the stranger reassured them that his trailer was not far away. The man's father, his uncle, and the two girls followed the stranger until they arrived at the stranger's camp. There were some steps leading up to the front door, and the stranger showed them in. The man's father and company went to go sit on a sofa and noticed that the trailer was a good size, well-kept, and not at all ominous or creepy. After turning up all the lights so the stranger's guests could see better, the stranger put on a cape, commenced with an introduction, bowed, held up his right hand, and then proceeded to put a white glove on his right hand. He extended his arm, and started running his left hand over, under, and around his gloved right hand, all while closing and opening his right hand and wiggling his fingers. The stranger started chanting some strange words in another language that none of the party knew. Then, with his left hand, he grabbed the tip of the white glove, turned and looked at the man's father, and asked him and the others, Are you ready? They said yes, 
and with a quick motion, the stranger ripped off the glove. The man's father was in shock and disbelief, and so was his uncle. The girls screamed, and their right in their faces was a skeletal hand still wiggling its fingers. The stranger turned the hand around so they could see the back, and the man's father said it was real. Then the man's uncle got up to take a closer look. That's when the stranger grabbed the top of the uncle's head with his bony hand and said, Now I'm really going to show you something. That was all it took. The girls ran out of the door of the trailer, screaming and crying, followed by the man's father and uncle, who managed to fight away from the illusionist. The stranger came out of the door, crazed, yelling, and probably worst of all, laughing. As the man's father stopped and turned around, he saw the stranger, this sadistic magician, was standing there at the top of the steps to his trailer, with a sinister grin on his face, looking at the man's father. On the ground was a wooden plank with long nails pointing up. The stranger jumped off the steps and landed right on those nails. The nails went right through his shoes and the blood started to flow. The man's father stood there transfixed, almost entranced as the stranger started to laugh again while pointing at the man's father with his still skeletal, bony finger. The man's uncle returned, grabbed the man's father by the arm, snapping him out of it, and both of them ran. They ran until their legs hurt, until their chests hurt, until their breathing became labored. Then they slowed a bit, but ran some more, away from the circus, away from the trailer, away from the illusionist, and away to safety. Once they had reached safety, and now to this day, upon reflection of the cursed memory, the man's father and uncle knew, deep down, that stranger was no illusionist. That man, if one can even call him that, was El Diablo the devil, and they were grateful that they were able to escape. It's a day he will and can never forget. On the night of November 15, 1966, two young couples from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, Roger and Linda Scarberry, and Steve and Mary Mallet saw something strange and would go on to tell police they saw a creature. They described it as a large flying man with 10-foot wings following their black 1957 Chevy while they were driving in an area outside of town known as the TNT area, the site of a former World War II munitions plant. Although this is not the first time a creature matching this description was seen in the area, 
as a group of hunters saw red eyes glowing in the distance in the TNT area, and later in 1966, gravediggers working in a cemetery spotted a strange figure in the trees above their heads. It is the first well-documented case. After some questioning of the couples by investigators, more details were revealed. While they're at the TNT area near the site's north power plant, they suddenly saw two large, red, glowing eyes which reflected the light from the car's headlights. Steve Mallet noticed it first and pointed it out to the group. That is when they are said to have noticed that the glowing red eyes belong to a strange creature. They claim to have seen a gray, man-like figure with wings go around the corner at the power plant. They said that the creature didn't run, but wobbled like it couldn't keep its balance. Linda described the creature as having circular, fiery red eyes and a body like a man, but with wings. They said the creature was about six or seven feet tall, with wings folded against its back. Half man half monster. She said, you could see muscles in its legs. The couples couldn't believe what they had seen. They quickly drove off onto Route 62. Linda yelled for Roger to hurry. The couples then saw the creature on a hill by a large billboard as they went around a curve. It spread its wings and went straight up into the air. They were all terrified and kept yelling for the driver to go faster, go faster. The bird, as it was first known, or Mothman, as it would soon be best known as, began gliding back and forth over the back end of their car. We didn't know what it was. I don't think we've ever been so scared, said Linda. As they went along a straight stretch of road, they were going over a hundred miles per hour, but the creature was still able to follow them. They saw it in the back window and saw the shadow go across the car as it flew. They couldn't get away from it. They could also hear the wings hitting the top of the car as they drove. It's even said to have left scratch marks on Roger's 57 Chevy. It squeaked like a big mouse, said Mary Mallet. They were only able to get away from the Mothman when they reached the edge of Point Pleasant. The creature disappeared, veering off into a field as they went into town. The couples continued going into town. They stopped at the local dairy land as they tried to figure out what to do next. Linda suggested that they go to the police, but Steve and Roger thought they'd just laugh at them and wanted to go back to make sure the thing was still there first. The group ended up being too afraid to do that, so they turned around. As they were turning around, they saw a large dead dog laying along the road, which was gone when they went by again later. According to the couples, the winged creature jumped out as they passed where the dead dog was, went over the top of the car, and went through the field on the other side. They drove back into town and parked at Tiny's Diner and decided to contact police. The teens told 
their story to Deputy Millard Halstead. They took police. They told police that they saw a large winged creature whose eyes glowed red when the car headlights picked it up. They described it as a flying man with ten-foot wings following their car. Halstead didn't believe them at first, but knew that those kids weren't troublemakers and saw that they were genuinely terrified. So he actually went out to investigate their story. The couples drove back out to the TNT area with the deputy. Millard shined a spotlight around the area, including the tree lines. Deputy Halstead is said to have heard strange static disturbances coming from his radio that he couldn't explain, but he found no clear sign of the creature itself. The witnesses were sitting in their car and said that they saw shadows circling nearby and a cloud of dust kick up from an adjacent coal yard. The mallets were too scared to go back to their homes. They stayed at the Scarberry's trailer, turned all the lights on, and stayed awake all night from fear. The following day, Mason County Sheriff George Johnson held a press conference to discuss the sightings, and the local press began printing the story and named the creature Mothman based on the comic book character Batman, who had just gotten a brand new television series at the time that starred Adam West as the pointy-eared, bat-wing-shaped, cape-wearing, masked crusader of justice. Steve Mallett told the local newspaper, We understand people are laughing at us, but we couldn't make up all this to make us look like fools. That same day, the couples went back to the TNT area during daylight and found odd-looking tracks resembling two horseshoes put together, but smooth. Steve saw something fly up inside a boiler when a door was kicked open. No one stayed around long enough to see what it was. After this original sighting, more and more people began reporting seeing similar things, such as Marcella Bennett's sighting, which happened a day later. Hundreds of cars full of eager people swarmed out to the TNT area at night in hopes of seeing the newly dubbed Mothman. This would lead to the original Mothman flap. After this initial incident, a dark, creeping, ominous shadow stretching forever outward, consuming all that it covered with its inky dark tendrils, was cast over the valley of Point Pleasant, and thus would begin the mysterious, intriguing, bizarre, bewildering, and at times terrifying legend and legacy of the Mothman. The Monster's Lair is a proud member of the Myriad Podcast Network.